Hello everyone and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour. We're back with a nondescript episode. We're going to talk through a bunch of things uh, for various amount of time and uh, we'll see how it goes. How about that? What a what a teaser. Yeah. Yeah, that's that that's pretty fitting. Uh it's Chris O'Reilly here with Brian Campion, first introduced. Brian, how are you? Uh, we're always a bit nondescript anyway, aren't we? Uh not too bad now, not too bad. You're come off a bit of a marathon uh, talking session today, coming off the spin earlier today, so, you, so fair play to you. Coming yes. on so late at night. For the cause, you know. A pizza on the way, so I may have to stop recording at some point to pick that up. Uh Tough times when you don't have time to cook for yourself in the evening. You go from one handball broadcast to another. Uh, but this is what it's all about. This one is the main one. And uh, Alex Kulesh is here as well. How you doing, Alex? I'm pretty good, Chris. I'm back from a nice holiday, nice and rested. So actually not very rested. I was skiing and I was pretty bad at skiing. So it takes a lot of energy. Was that your first time skiing? <laughs> second time but the first time was a disaster that was two days and i didn't know how to stop so that didn't go too well this time around actually got it was pretty good the full week uh did me a lot of good i was uh i was on the blacks by the end of the week so really happy with that oh my god happy days some of the blacks some people don't know what that means that's the most advanced part of the skiing course yeah yes just to be clear yeah that's that's important (laughs) Uh, okay, yeah, nice. And no broken limbs, no uh, torn ligaments, no shoulders dislocated. All good? All good. Actually, did did my knees some good because oh. it's, it's straightening my knees that's the problem. So you, that, you do the opposite of that in skiing. So it actually loosened them up a bit. It was perfect. feel better now. Oh, Alex and his loose knees. All right. Happy days. <laughs> <Could be> the- <laughs> loose, <laughs> loose knee coolish. Loose knee coolish. <laughs> We're going to pop through uh, a few of the... The competitions that have been happening recently. <laughs> Let's start at the the top, the EHF Champions League men. Alex, what's been on your mind? It's been good. The the Champions League on the men's side. Uh it's kind of really jumped back into it uh after World Championship. We've had two rounds since our last episode. A few shocks here and there, but a lot of it's it's nice to see that both groups are completely open going into the last two rounds of the Champions League group stage. So there is only one team that is eliminated and that is uh, poor Elverham who uh, just weren't at the races this time around, even though they actually put it up to Nantes really well and were leading for most of the game, but lost 42-36. But other than that, every team is still in it. Even Porto, who uh, looked terrible, uh, actually still have a chance they have a game in hand why did that game against Zagreb get postponed? Zagreb they had f- problems with their flight and couldn't make it and they uh-huh. then wouldn't have made it on time for the game so they had to postpone it I th- it might have something to do with some sort of strike or something or they, but it was definitely a, an issue with their flight 
Okay. Mm, oh, it's such a Zagreb issue. Yeah. <laughs> Pace, Pace and Pilot off to say that the engine wasn't working on the plane so they because they weren't quite ready for the for the game. <laughs> <laughs> but a game I was at, which I was um, very impressed that uh, you remember the last time I went to to Magdeburg and I had the lovely situation with the taxi man. Didn't see mm. him again this time, unfortunately. I was looking out for him. I was I I purposely went down the whole taxi rank hoping I'd see him again, but uh, didn't run into him. Um, but the last time I was in Magdeburg, I witnessed Magdeburg get absolutely spanked by PSG, and safe to say, their thirty-two twenty-five win over Vesprem, they look like a completely different team in the in person, you know, because just going on. Also, the atmosphere in the arena was was uh, was really really good, and you have to say, Kai Smiths. When you think back to when we interviewed him before the Euro and people didn't know who he really was and how much he, he's, he's established himself as an absolutely an absolute baller, um, he is becoming, and he needed to become as well, an, an absolute motor for this Magdeburg team. And he uh, really showed up and scored some really, really important goals in the second half. And his goals in the second half really kind of put Vesprem to bed. Not literally, but yeah, metaphorically to bed. And... Uh, yeah. Yeah, Vesprem just kind of felt like they kind of lost their mojo in the second half, kind of just faded away. And yeah, I'm not saying, I'm not quite saying it's worrying times for, for Vesprem because they do have Nedim Renmali coming in. He's not going to be able to play though until the knockout rounds. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. And I think he'll be a big morale boost when he does come in because he does offer a lot, obviously, from the, from the right back position, which they did obviously do struggle with now with, um, with their, their Egyptian star, uh, out missing. Yeah, Yomar. Yeah, Yomar. That's him. I can't yeah, believe. Him. I can't believe of all the players whose name you've forgotten. It's the man who, for five years in friend a row, you were touting podcast. as the as the next big thing and friend of the podcast. Yeah, Yomar. I, for, I forgot how old I was the other day, so it's a very common occurrence to me. So don't take offense to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to quickly add but up Kai all Smith's, of us. Smith has been a revelation, but a revelation that we all knew. It's it, we we knew that was going to happen. He's Anytime he got a chance to play, he did this. He did this for Netherlands. He's averaged 8.2 goals per game since uh, Magnussen's injury. It's insane. He's got, he got 12 uh, on the weekend in Bundesliga as well. He's just buying them in. And he's just uh, he's a machine. Um, and yeah, Magdeburg are, are probably... They had to make a decision. Uh, Magnussen or Smits. Uh, one of them had to go, but... Smith's going to Flensburg next season is going to be a big boost to him, uh, I think. And Magdeburg, with that win over Veszprem, actually leapfrogged them in the standings. So right now, Magdeburg are in second place on 16 points. PSG are top with 20, and they seem like they'll they'll take that top spot. Veszprem now down in third place on 60 points as well, but a slightly worse goal difference. And, you know, it makes a lot of difference that automatic qualification for the quarterfinal and then kind of setting up a much easier route towards the final four. So Magdeburg were a team that we talked about as, you know, they're underperforming a little bit in the Champions League. What, you know, what's going on? And they got two huge injuries, Magnussen and uh, Saugstrup, but they've... Uh, they jump right back in. They signed Oscar Bergendahl, which I think was a huge, huge coup for them. Um, I think he's a really a direct as director replacement for 
Saugstrup as you can get. And if anything, he bolsters their defense. Um, since Magdeburg's defense isn't necessarily the best, they, they do rely on high scoring, high paced games. Oscar Bergendahl comes in as a, an extra rock in that defense. Uh, and they're, they're looking pretty good. So they have, um, Zagreb in the next game while, uh, Veshran play Porto. So should be two relatively easy wins for those two teams. But then it's, uh, Magdeburg have Bucharesti in the last round, while Veshrem will have to beat PSG to qualify. So that puts Magdeburg in a really good position in that group. Um, and that's even despite the fact that they, uh, yeah, lost, lost their players and lost to Wisla Plotsk in, in the round before, uh, out of nowhere. So, uh, I think, uh, looking good for Magdeburg. And I think it's going to be Porto's cup final, though. So I wouldn't completely count Porto just out yet. I think they have have a slight boost coming in after that um, World Championship, where they seem to lost form beforehand, but seem to be playing slightly better this time. This time, or, or the side of the the World Championship. So it is going to be interesting to see that because Porto really have their backs against the wall, and they need to win. Whereas, yeah, Best Prem seem to be in a bit of a slump. So it's it's definitely very interesting stuff. Can I just mention uh, on the the Magdeburg thing? Remember when we did the uh, midterm reports, right? Uh, just before Christmas, and we had Magdeburg as Brian. You had them as a C plus, Alex a C, and I had them on a B minus. And now <laughs> it looks like they're they're going straight through to the quarterfinals, despite losing two of their best players. I think that speaks more about uh, Veshrem's drop in form mm-hmm. than okay. Magdeburg have been good, but Veshrem have looked really lost without a right back. And Zoran Ilic, he's young, he's talented, but he's not hes not at the level. Um, I think Remily definitely fills that gap in a fantastic way. Um, it'll be perfect for them, I think. But they're gonna, they might have to go through a playoff and then face one of the top teams in the quarterfinals. So, uh, mm. and, you know, they are coming up... A, if they do go into a playoff, they'll likely play Barca or Kielsa in that other quarterfinal. Um, so, yeah, it could be a tough road for well, Veshprem. Not not only that, but you have to look at uh, the potential playoff match for them as well. If they finish third in the group, then they'll finish uh, face sixth in the other group. At the moment, it's Alborg, but it could... And that would be maybe even a bigger pain in the arse for them. Could be Seged. <laughs> and, oh, and we know, you know, no matter how bad Seged are, they find a way to beat Vesprem. Yeah, and especially now. Yeah, yeah, they, they beat Kiel, right? Yeah. That's uh, 36-33 uh, against Kiel. That was, uh, again, kind of out of nowhere. It's a, it's a classic... Keel result, I would say, at this point. The way they've played the Champions League this season, it, that's not a huge surprise uh, happening for them. But yeah, another yeah, big step forward for Seged, considering I saw them the week previous where they were beaten by Alborg uh, and pretty comfortably beaten as well. Uh, they looked like they, they didn't really have uh, much to show. But yeah, the next week they come out and beat Keel. Is there anything else on, on Group A you want to talk about before we talk about... That uh, those themes in Group B, Gio Gi, 
Okay, okay. We, we'll talk about them a little bit later as well after their Danish Cup final win. Uh, but yeah, Gay okay, okay, are just oh, no, leave it leave it for a little bit. They they beat Veshprem in round eleven. Uh, that was a pretty incredible performance. And yeah, again, I'll gush over them a, a lot more. But uh, Emil Matson, who is Denmark's fifth best right back. Behind Giesel, Kirkeluka, Jakob Lassen, and Mads Hoxer, doesn't even get a sniff at the second Danish team that was announced for the Euro Cup. He's the fourth top scorer in the Champions League with 70 goals, and he scored eight from eight in that game against Veshram. Uh Yeah, Veshram looks again, they, when Veshram go into we rely on Peter Nanadic mode. It just gets ugly. So uh, I think they need to get Remy in there as, as soon as possible. But uh, we will speak about Gege a bit later. I don't, I don't want to keep talking about uh, the Vestrum uh, Magdeburg game, but when, I saw, when you're in the arena, it does feel a little bit different when you see what you're watching sometimes as well. And one thing which I really noticed was how nimble the the Magdeburg backcourt looked and how cumbersome some of the Vestrum players looked. And Peter, Peter Nanadic, one of them, Sometimes it looks like he just learned how to run or something. I don't know. It was really bizarre sometimes, and you're, you're just looking at him. Sometimes thinking, "This, this is this is a, one of our one of our top athletes," but he somehow managed to get it done. Also, Manuel Strelick looked like he had just had a, had a hip replacement the way he was running up the court. I mean, I think it's exaggerated because you're playing against probably one of the most mobile teams in world handball in Magdeburg. How quickly and how nimble they play. But it was interesting to see in person how I was coming coming away from it thinking, "Yeah, these these uh, this, these Vestrum guys look a little bit a little bit slow." But but yeah, but Zeged Zeged back uh, back to life with a win against Kiel. Uh, they lost to Alborg, so I don't know if I fully believe it. The the win against Kiel again, I would, uh, as you said, Chris, put it down to more Kiel being bad and Nicholas Landin being bad. So it seems like when Landin has had quite a lot of games where he just doesn't show up this season and I think that kind of mirrors Kiel's form in the Champions League he he had zero saves from 13 shots didn't play the game after that and yeah without Landin Kiel just they seem very beatable um and yeah I, it's not I don't really think it was an outstanding game from Zeget in a sense it was uh it was a nice balanced game, at least. And our, our boy, Miklas Rosta, budget Banhidi, is becoming the real <laughs> life Banhidi. He is, uh, <laughs> it's like he's had a glow up. Uh, he's still very young. He's booked himself a move to Dino Bucharest next season as well, but he was very good in that game. Uh, five goals for him. But do you see Zeget doing anything in this competition? Do you see this kind of, okay, we're Zeged, we're actually good enough, so we'll win the important games? If they do end up finishing sixth in the group and then face Vesprem in the playoff, then yes, I do see them uh, managing it. Um, yeah, look, I think with with them, it's, it's so hard to know whether they are um, you know, the real deal after a result like this. Uh, it's a really good sign. And seeing players like... Uh, 
baller at match golf check, you know, all of a sudden shooting as well. Uh, one of the goals he scored was incredible and it was like uh, a blast in the past. But they they have the you know the tools they need now. They have the the squad to to play their certain style of of handball, which still is very much you know it's going to be. Um, uh, speedy playmaker and then big boy shooting in the backcourt that's not going to change it's whether it works on a given day uh, which is important I think the key thing is the the line players for them uh, it didn't work against Alborg in the game uh, that I saw but now Benson H- Banhidi scoring three from three on the line uh, Miklos Rosta scoring five and yeah talked about Rosta he, he was great in the world championship as well uh, another one of those line players who uh, is taking penalties these days. Uh, although the last penalty he took at the World Championship, he uh, smacked a keeper straight in the face and got a direct red card in the first couple of minutes. So maybe he'll never do that again. But <laughs> maybe that's the end of that. But yeah, when you have, or when they have those players fully fit and in seemingly good form, then the the tools are there because the, the key thing missing uh, for them was having the line players fit and able because that's a big part missing for them in the way they play the attack uh with them there anything's possible uh the last dance for uh a lot of these sega players before the douche take over and uh <laughs> and change things around and Juan carlos pastor leaves at the end of the season should we talk a bit about group b and probably the most disappointing result of the whole season so far of course i'm talking about Celia uh losing to barcelona after being 15 12 up at halftime and of course, only one man was going to step up and save Barcelona. And it was almost so predictable in the end with DKMM scoring two of the last uh, three goals. I mean, that's, that really stings um, for Celia because they have something about them this season, don't they? They've pulled off some good results and they've pushed teams a lot. But that would have been really sensational if they, had they toppled uh, Barca at home. And I think we need to put some, some respect on Gal Margucci's name, the less famous brother of Gaspar Margucci. He's scored eight out of 11. Okay, three only from play. But with, with Paris de Vargas in goal and, and the likes of uh, the, the Barcelona keepers, I think you need to put some respect in his name. Don't be laughing, guys. I can see you're laughing there. Um, <laughs> uh, Alex Vallad was throwing shots out like they were going out of fashion, four from 10. Maybe not the best game, but to be expected against Barcelona. But yeah, I think DKMM really stole all the headlines with, with that win in the end. Uh, yeah, they just... Celia just collapsed. It was so sad. And it was just, uh, yeah, you know, Barca are just used to winning and they did it again. So you were 27, 24 up with, uh, with 10 minutes to go. And Alex Vla, who's just has become a superstar, he's now signed for Alborg. Um, interesting signing that I, I wasn't quite expecting Vla to land there. Uh, that we'll really be able to see if it's kind of a flash in a pan season or whether he's the, the real deal, but it does look like he's the real deal. But they just, they, they kind of shot themselves, sell you. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, what can you say? What do you expect, they, though? They, of course, it's a victory in their hands and it, yeah. it just slipped through. And it was DKM. Um, and it, it was great seeing DKM do that because Brian, you say that, you know, it could only be one man, but. Um, Dikamem was—he's not the most clutch player in the world. 
He's Come an incredible on. player, but I, I still oh, call him. Oh Mr. no, here we, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard this before. <laughs> but he's doing it more and more. Uh, he's, I know. He's I think he's better. I think he's turned into a pretty good. I mean, he's not Alex Usurbaev, but he's. I think he's. If you're going to pick out three players from the Bar- Barca team who are who are a bit clutch, it'd probably be him, Paris de Vargas, and Alexi Gomez. No, Fa- I, I throw Fabregas in there as well. Do you think Fabregas think is more clutch than than DKMM? I don't know. Oh, he scored yeah, a winning so, penalty in the Champions League final last season. Yeah, but oh, <laughs> penalty penalties. <laughs> but I, I think it's more so that ending of the game was pretty chaotic, uh, and it allowed Dikemem. It played into Dikemem's strengths because he could receive the ball when the defense wasn't set fully. It was in kind of second wave transition or just as the defense set. And he he just sliced through them um, with his two goals. It was, you know, you, you look at that and you're like, how do you not just do this all the time? It looks so easy. Why aren't you scoring 15 goals a game? But what DKMM struggles with is a fully set defense, a slowed down game in those last moments when the there's kind of two big defenders in the middle and a goalkeeper that's ready for his shots. That's a bit more difficult but he didn't need to do that he was able to slice through so i think i think there's still room to grow for uh dkm uh, in in the clutch area but he's still uh fantastic players uh, it's heartbreaking for Celia. just heartbreaking mm. and it did pretty much knock them out of the of the competition they're on six points uh they've got two games left and allborg are on nine points so Celia have to win both of their last games and Allborg have to uh, lose both of them pretty much to, for Celia to get through, which is unlikely. But yeah, yeah. Celia have just been almost almost a great team this year. But hmm. what do you expect? Yeah, Allborg facing uh, Elvorum at home next. So that, that should do it. But if somehow they don't, then it's Celia at home against Alborg in the final game. So could all still oh, change, nice. but uh, they would need a huge favor from Elverham uh, for that one. Nant doing non things as, as unpredictable as ever, uh, starting the, the new year with a loss at home to Celia and then scoring 42 goals away against Elverham. I just love it. Just, it's, it's a good time. Every time you see Nant. Uh, you never know what you're going to get exactly, particularly in Europe. It's just fun to watch, as long as you don't really care whether they win or lose. They struggled against Elverum. They did score 42 goals, but they were six goals down at one stage in the first half. They did storm back and won, won that first half, 21-18. Um, but Emmerich Mean is back for them, uh, which is yeah, just fantastic for them. But I wonder if they're still getting used to having him back in the team uh kind of their their alpha dog he, he which he became before his injury uh they they kind of okay we, we have to give him the ball and we have to work with him so maybe it's a little bit of that maybe it's mean getting into form a little bit but uh they're pretty solid in that third place they have no chance of getting ahead of Kielso or Barcelona but I think third place in that group is pretty nice because you end up playing Zagreb or Plotsk. And that's that's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, if you got, you're in fourth or fifth, which 
uh, Kiel and Zeged and maybe even Alborg are fighting for, uh, you might face up against Geoge or Dima Bucharesti much harder challenges. So um, still a lot to play for in that group as well. I think the placements do make a difference. Yeah, it's re- really worth finishing in third place in that group, you know, with, with the uh, playoff match you mentioned. And then, you know, of all the teams you can face uh, in the quarterfinal, you know, whether you have a choice of PSG, Nantes wouldn't want that, Barca, they don't want that, Kelsa, they don't want that, Magdeburg, they would think, okay, you know, that's that's something we're used to in the European League as well. So, uh, yeah, I think of all those teams, uh, they they probably fancy that route uh, to go. So third place, very much worth earning. Your question, Brian. Is Alexander Cavacanchi uh, Portugal's most informed player at the moment? That wasn't the question, but this is another question I just have. What do you think? He's kind of really come into his own this season, isn't he? It seems like. He's been very good, but it was very strange that he didn't play that much for Portugal. Yeah. Um, a Portugal team that was in form and has a lot of very good left backs. But he wasn't uh, selected, was he? He wasn't even yeah, at he, the World Championship. He was, yeah. He was just a uh, bench warmer. Okay. Literally sat in his arse for the whole time. That, that really surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because he's been brilliant this season. And he also got a red card against Elverum. So yeah, uh, seven goals and red cards—a good game, though. <laughs> yeah. that is, That's a nice. You little... really filled the stat sheet. You really yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. Stat. Pack it out, like you know, yeah. Adrian Shippers. <laughs> Actually, he wouldn't score seven goals, though, would he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you, so no, you've forgotten your question? No, no. I still have the question. Um, so, what's was there two games left? Do you feel like that's a it's a hell of a lot of games just to get rid of two teams? Yes. What's your gut feeling? Or do you feel like it's been just about right? Maybe it's a little... It, so with... Yeah, it's two games left and it does feel open. But a lot of things can close next week, basically. Or this week. Uh, with the penultimate round. Pretty much everything could be set apart from a few placement ones. Which does feel a little bit anticlimactic something we have to get used to i suppose <laughs> you, oh, say, you say this, this format is like four years old <laughs> no I, I still know we, we we haven't talked about it before and i think that i don't mind all of the games i just think the playoffs should be more games there should be more important games before the final four to justify all of this build-up so then positioning really matters you know it's more nba style uh that's fair but the fact that you know the top teams qualify and they get one home game in the playoff that were you know barcelona they're gonna get go into the win the group and have one fantastic game where they'll pack out the palau it's gonna be exciting it's gonna be a real event and then that's all they get from this Champions League that's been on for a season and they've played so many games then they get the Final Four in Cologne which is its own event that's fantastic but you gotta give you know maybe the, like give teams home advantage play three legs for um, the playoffs and the quarterfinals so you really get these really high value games get a lot more of them that becomes a spectacle because, yeah, as you said, it does kind of peter down and then we get 
a lo- like a few of these fantastic games that are just to the death and then then it's done um, you do, yeah because you do feel for the teams a little bit who would finish top of their group and then somehow mess it up in the quarterfinal and get knocked out and you think you had that all that slog at the season and then you just have one bad quarter all two bad games overall and then that's it then whereas you have maybe had a few more knockout matches in the lead up to that yeah i don't i might it might feel it has a bit more worth to it like but yeah what do you think chris are we are we scrapping the whole thing uh, <laughs> I, I just think like if you use the the example of like the three legs uh for barca right they're let's say they're facing geo in the quarterfinal they won't need a third game so it doesn't really matter mm. <laughs> they'll win the two yes. games anyway but that's a, it's uh yeah in in some cases it's uh i think a bit more relevant and yeah it would be nice it would be nicer to uh have more knockout games because i had a similar thought like uh, uh today because the next game in this competition i'll be commentating will be the, the knockout rounds and then i've gone got like two of those and it's then it's over mm. and it's cologne um but then you need more teams in the competition yeah. and that's a whole other discussion which we've done yeah. many times uh, they <laughs> love it save, they love it we'll save that for the summer maybe when we have the group I, phase but, draw. but i would <laughs> like i i would say uh keep the same amount of teams then just they all go through to the playoffs and you get the the benefit of finishing towards the top is that you get two home games if it comes to that oh, all the could, way through could you imagine uh, that the people would be so irritated if everyone goes through yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> no, because you know, because I'm pretty sure when that happened with the co the COVID season, and they they put everyone through, and then we got pissed off because Zagreb were there, and then they couldn't oh. even fulfill the fixture against uh, Flensburg <laughs> because of COVID. Yeah, maybe you put no, I'm over overcooking this, over over egging the pudding. I was like, I'll put the first team all the way through, then the bottom two teams play against each other to be able to play that team so you yeah. still get one team knocked out then you get an extra knockout game <laughs> <laughs> between the worst an extra teams. an extra knockout game between elverum and zagreb that's what we need i think if you, <laughs> if you if you finish top of your group you get a mystery player for the knockout round so you don't know who it is <laughs> you get this mystery box player who, who's drafted in a player who maybe retired maybe one or two years ago and you get drafted in <laughs> kim anderson whoa <laughs> <laughs> And if you're sixth, uh, you get, you lose one of your players, and a fan has to play with you. Nightmare, and you have to play him. <laughs> that's 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 pretty, that's real entertainment now. Anyway, would you what what position would you put a fan, a random fan, on your team? You catch oh, it has to be in the wing, though. For- uh, left wing. Yeah, has to be left wing. Yeah, left wing. Yeah, or or is the second? No, it was a second line player in a seven, seven six, versus but six. They would just yeah. get in the way. They'd get in the way too much. <laughs> has yeah. to be the left wing. Yeah. It'd be some yeah. sensational some season though when they've actually a good handball player who just gets in and then they actually sign him up then after the season has it actually <laughs> sensational. Be like America's Got Talent or something. Be class. Well, that's like, have you ever seen Dream Team? You know the football show. It was a yeah, about yeah. United, and there was that whole story arc with the guy who was like giving abuse on the stands. So they're like, oh, you're in a preseason friendly. So they're like, yeah, you come in and show us what you can do, and he scores a goal, and then he gets a contract. <laughs> 
and then uh no he ends up becoming the the whole like the chairman of the board or something Jeez, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're saying i'm yeah, onto something anyway. yeah you're onto something right <laughs> this is a whole other episode uh fantasy rules for this board uh, yeah obviously uh one question for you before we go really quick but who's going to finish sixth in group a zagreb Potsk, or porto zagreb right because i believe <laughs> in the power of timor de birov you're probably right actually that's a tough one i'm gonna say uh, what are what are pots last two games they're playing against at home to psg and uh, away to porto away uh, to porto they could win mm, that's really tough yeah I'll, I'll i'll probably say it i'll stick with with zagreb for the old heads the old champions league heads that are in there we'll get it we'll get it done i'll go for pots then moving on women's champions league Brian, you've seen the most of them. You've been to a lot of Women's Champions League games recently. I'm just trying to remember which ones I was at. <laughs> <laughs> but the Women's Champions League, the group stage has finished. Um, there was a pretty dramatic last uh, day. Um, it sealed a few fates. While you remember what games you went to, Brian, maybe I'll talk through what, <laughs> what, <laughs> what happened, happened on the last, last day. Especially in Group A. That, that was where the drama really happened on the last day. So uh, CSM Bucharesti were actually top uh, in first place going into that um, last round. Uh, Vipers behind them. And at the bottom, uh, Krim were on 10 points and looking like they were out. Uh, so Krim were playing CSM Bucharesti. CSM needed a win to confirm first, but obviously finishing second still qualifies you for the quarterfinal. But Krim needed a win to even have a chance of going through. They were on 10 points, um, and the two teams ahead of them were Beatingheim and Abrest. And they did it. They beat uh, CSM Bucharesti 28-26. Christian Nuagu had a stinker of all stinkers. Six goals from 15 shots for Nuagu in that game. And uh, Krim qualified because uh, Brest Britannia lost to Vipers, who then claimed top spot. And Bietenheim, despite destroying uh, Badek Most 47-25 didn't manage to uh, leapfrog them. So uh, big big for Krim. Uh, bad for Bucharesti, but they do go through uh, anyway to that quarterfinal. So see, drama can happen uh, in these types of group yeah. stages, right? Yeah, and I think a, a big takeaway for me from this is Biedigheim finishing in seventh place because uh, we had a a check-in early in the uh, the competition and we were so impressed with how strong Biedigheim were at the start of the season. Uh, but the big question was like whether they could keep it going because the, the squad was pretty thin and uh, whether injuries would kind of come back to haunt them. And boy, did it come back to haunt them. I think they went on a six-game losing streak uh, towards the end of the group, which uh, really sealed their fate. And it's... A, disaster for them to to finish in uh, in seventh place but interesting uh, it, it's happened in both groups that there's a huge b- block of teams very even on points but here in group a from third place down to seventh just four points between them 
which is uh, yeah a good sign in that sense, uh, showing how the vast majority of teams uh, were pretty close in this competition. Not only that, but it also ha- they also had three match weeks in a row, which they all lost, which was uh, kind of a strange curse on poor on poor big league time. So yeah, that's tough, like because there were there thereabouts in in two of the, at least two of those games. The the, the game against Vipers, they, they they push Vipers pretty much all the way. Uh, it was a bit nip and tuck at home against Bucharesti, but then maybe yeah, they really faded late in that second half against FTC. I was at that game. Uh, I remember, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a that's a tough out season for them because when you think back, as you said, Chris, earlier in the season when they went on that run, you're thinking, oh, we've a new, we, there's a new, uh, a new what's a new horse in town? No, a new um, what's the phrase? Have to be careful what I'm saying here. And there's a new team in town, sheriff. Uh, a new sheriff, sheriff and yes, you're yes. looking for. Yes, I'm looking for. It's on the horse. horse. The sheriff, <laughs> sheriff comes in on the horse. There's, a new, there's a new horse sheriff. in town, and there's a the sheriff on it. <laughs> <laughs> there's a new horse in town riding the sheriff into the into town. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, t- tough out season for them. But I'm really looking forward now to the to the uh, playoffs, and mm. I think we have some really really tasty matchups there. I'm not sure. I, I, so I'm going to look at them here. We've Krim versus uh, CS Bucharesti, CS Rapid Bucharesti, Brest versus uh, Team Esbjerg, Storhammer versus uh, Odensee, and Budishnos versus FTC. If you guys had to pick out one match, which you think is going to be too hard to call, which one would you think would it be? Strangely enough, I think knowing FTC, I think it might be FTC Budishnos for some reason. <laughs> knowing how difficult they make life for themselves sometimes, there could be that one. But also I think Brest and Team Esbjerg is also quite good. Krim Rapid Bucharesti feels like uh, yeah. I mean, remember because you you mentioned FTC the last season. I remember Krim got the uh, got the players that were released by the Russian clubs and uh, stormed their way through to the quarterfinal at FTC's expense, which mm. uh, was a kind of a classic thing to happen to them. But Krim coming from basically saving themselves from elimination and looking at the just the vast array of experience in that team coming up against against rapid bucharesti who have been like the they've been the revelation they have been the the new horse with a sheriff coming to town <laughs> in group <laughs> you're gonna have to oh. keep going with this now <laughs> what an analogy uh, oh yeah. my god uh but <laughs> but uh, rapid bucharesti have been uh, very impressive but they are maybe lacking a little bit of experience at this level so i think the the wily old foxes of uh of crim may be able to hunt down that horse <laughs> But one thing he said about the Russian players, Krim, Darya Dmitrieva has been terrible. We know how good she can be, but even in that big win against uh, CSM, Darya went one from nine. She struggling. That one goal was a very important goal, is what I'll say. <laughs> it was a very important goal. <laughs> so she kept going. She kept plugging away. Uh, but yeah, that wasn't... Uh, that wasn't her best day at the office, uh, for sure. But she has also, like in <laughs> let's not forget, like in the four games pre- prior to that, she scored three against Vipers, nine against Most, uh, ten against FTC, and twelve against Bidikheim. So 
Mr. Alex, uh, looking at the most recent results, Tula <laughs> here, yeah, being found out. <laughs> <laughs> it was the last two. The three goal performance was also bad. Yeah, Those yeah, but come on, three from like, like eight or something. Yeah, but thir- thirty-one goals in three games before that. Let's let's give her a break, Alex. Shall we? I know high high <laughs> standards, high standards for the Russian high players. standards. Expect a lot from Dmitrievich. One of my favorite players. You're always tough on the Russians anyway, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I am. (laughs) Yeah, in in Group B as well, there was a big game at the end as well, and that was uh, Gior beating Team Eshberg to seal that second position uh, in the group and push Eshberg down into the playoffs. So Eshberg are... um, They're probably too good to be in the playoffs for me. And they're playing a Brest uh, team that have been so impressive for many years, but just don't look the same this year. And when you asked that que- question, Brian, that game immediately shot to mind because that, to me, that's almost a Final Four game. It could mm-hmm. easily be that if you're just look at it at a glance. But with the way Brest have performed this season, I think it will be an easy win for Eshbjerg, but uh, it still interests me. Uh, and I think that'll, that'll be a good one. Uh, Gior beat Eshbjerg 31-29 in that decisive game. And Henny Reichstad, who has been terrible in this competition, went two <laughs> from eight. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, Alex, what are you talking about? Based on the last game, oh based on last game's <laughs> performance, she has beaten no, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't be totally, I wouldn't hang out my, hang out my boots. Jeez, I'm, I can't think of any phrases today, any, idiom, any idioms at all. I wouldn't totally give up on um, breasts just, just yet. So at the moments I saw them this season, they definitely have a big, a big fight about them. And the only games they really kind of got snowballed in or perhaps the two games against vipers or maybe that earlier game in the season against uh, csm bucharesti but the rest of the games they were really in all of them and some of them lost them really really narrowly um so i think they're a dangerous team for anyone to come up against because they unless you're vipers you're not going to run them over and uh I think they do have with a, with a character like Virginia Yelkovich in there who can be a little bit up and down she, herself. She, like, she's injured, she, I was just going to say. That oh, is yeah. also, yeah, yeah. a big one. Oh, I forgot one. about that, yeah. Um, yeah so she got an yeah. injury which keep her out for about three months. It's another mm. knee injury, but not as traumatic as her last ones. And Cleopatra Dolo is out with a concussion for the foreseeable future. So <laughs> that's... Uh, that's a pretty nightmare situation for them in that sense. But they're yeah, going to so need a lot of fight. Yeah, and they have it. So I think overall, the playoff picture is looking pretty good. Um, Storhammer Odense, I think, is maybe the clearest one there in favor of Odense. Storhammer, I think, are going to be counting their lucky stars. They weren't in Group A. Uh, otherwise, I don't think they would have been uh, at this stage. So, yeah, good for them that they're in this, in this round. But Odense will be uh, looking pretty good. And just like projecting forward a little bit here uh, to the quarterfinals, I want to get your takes on this. So winner of Storhammer Odense faces Jura, which shows just how big that victory over Esberg was for Jura because they get potentially the nicest quarter of the draw. Krim Rapid, the winner of that, faces Vipers. Borutschnost FTC, the winner of that, faces Mets, which... Uh, our Mets have been incredible this season. They they just going from strength to strength. But this is the standout quarter of the draw for me. 
Uh, winner of Brest Esbjerg. So let's say Esbjerg are the favourites there against CSM Bucharesti. Esbjerg against CSM. Henny Reista against Niagu and all the other stars. That is a, a quarterfinal worth watching out for. Lining up really nicely. Yeah. I think there's a lot of uh, great games to come and no clear, clear favourite like we always have with Jure. Uh, or Vipers, you know. You know, two-time reigning champions, Vipers. But what what makes Mets so good this season? What what has been what has impressed you about them? Uh, I think the uh, the goalkeeper duo has been really good. Two kind of rising stars for the the French national team, Camille Depuisay and uh, Hadou Sacco, both really good. And then it's uh, uh, what a backcourt with uh, Bruno Gipaola. In there, alongside um, along, <laughs> alongside uh, Louise Borgard, and you have Christina Jorgensen in there, who has uh, come to life. Sixty-two goals. She's yeah. found uh, kind of prolific scoring that uh, we hadn't really seen from her at national team level. And then Chloe Valentini as well has uh, been brilliant out on the left wing. I think she also has 62 goals. So they just look like a really solid outfit. They had like two seasons where it was a bit of transition for the team. It was completely rebuilt basically from the bottom up by Emmanuel Mayanad. We saw them close to the top last season, but now it seems like everything is just where it needs to be. And uh, everyone looking pretty fit as well uh, on the line as well. Uh, Buktit. Is that how you say her name? I yeah. hope so. Uh, Sarah Buktit, uh, really brilliant as well. So, yeah, just a bunch of really good players. They're athletic, they're smart, brilliant confidence, playing good handball. I don't know what the secret is, but it looks good. I, I just personally like the kind of mix between experienced players and younger players in it. And I think there's a balance you get when you get that right. And with a team like Mets, with a good handball club like Mets, I think it's, uh, it's a dangerous mix. Um, and I love in your commentary also, Chris, how you really go for the Buna Jibaula. Buna Jibaula. Uh, I did that's notice for, that. That's for Marcio. That. That's Marcio Menino's uh, teachings. You know. Yeah, yes. He goes, <laughs> he, he's giving me all the knowledge I need for Brazilian players. But you're going to win the whole thing anyway, right? Yeah, of course. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> but, uh, on well, on that, I think we, we joked about it. We joked about it, but uh, Amadine Lenol is back. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, Solberg is pregnant and Amadine Lenard, well, she's back in goal. So that could, <laughs> why not? What a what a story that'll be and not surprising in the slightest. How long was she, so how long was she out in total? Uh, only this season. Yeah. So yeah. in terms of a bit of ring rust, like I think probably not that much of it for a goalkeeper like that. You can pretty much slot straight back in, can't you? Yeah. She's been a goalkeeper coach. She's probably, yeah. you know, she's been... She's, she's been, been on the few court. Yeah. 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 I mean, we saw with, with France at the Euro how active she was as well. Like, she was definitely doing a little bit of training as well, let's say. Arpad Sterbeck vibes, isn't it? Yeah. Except without the limp. <laughs> <laughs> Danish Cup. Alex, you were watching the whole thing. Danish Cup. I did say I was going to gush about Gay Gay, and I'm, I'm going to do it again because those boys are just fantastic. I watch. I did watch just the two uh, Geo Gay games, and I got full confirmation that it can be either Geo Gay or Gog. So both is right. Ah, Choose what you will. 
What do you prefer? Uh, I, I'll stick. Yeah. I like Gogo. Okay. Yeah. I like Gogo. Okay. That was a nice ring. Yeah. Touch. Gog sounds like you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something else. Anyway, tell us why you like it. Why you like them this season, anyway. So, Gogo won the Santander Final Four uh, Cup in Denmark, which is a, a competition that's been kind of rising and rising over the last couple of years. It's been getting a lot more attention, a lot more publicity, and even without Albor in the competition, in the Final Four this year, they were still able to get uh, 9,000 people, close to 9,000 people, in the uh, Jeske Bank Boxing Arena. And that's because they actually limited to that number uh, of seats. So, it, big competition. It was in the semi-final, Geoge played... Björnborg Silkeborg and in the other semi-final Skjern played uh, Reba Eschberg. Skjern uh, flew through Reba. There was no real challenge for them in that semi-final but the semi-final between Geoge and uh, Björnborg Silkeborg was an absolute barnstormer. Finished 36-35 to Geoge and the last couple of minutes were just a real riot of a game. It, it kind of went wild. It was, it was great to see. Um, throughout the game, Gogay were in a lot of control. They were just taking it easy. Most of, not taking it easy, but they were comfortably two or three goals in the lead. Bjornberg not in it at all and, or staying in it a little bit. And it was the last six minutes where just things shifted and Bjornberg got a couple of goals back. It was 32-32, and then Simon Putlik, who was fantastic in that game, got a two minutes. So with four minutes left, two of those minutes were going to be without Putlik. They were level on score, and it looked like um, they were about to throw it away. Uh, but there was this just, I'm, I'm the boss moment from Putlik. So he went off for his two minutes. Uh, the game went on. It was 30, yeah, 33, 33 when he came back in. Scored two absolutely crucial goals to put them up in the game. And then it was Martin Olsen who came in with the Danish five-step, a real veteran to close out the game. Yeah, and Martin Olsen off to become an assistant coach next season in Ringstedt. So he'll be... Spreading the word of Gog and the Gog five-step all around Europe. So for Platon, <laughs> more of it. Uh, yeah. but, but what really kind of stood out to me was that this whole Gay team is just full of clutch players. You know what I talked about earlier about DKMM not having that. Each one of those backcourt <laughs> players just does. It was first, it, it was Emil Madsen who, uh, when Gay kind of got shocked by uh, Bjornbor and they came back into it he just took two standing shots from nine meters one rocket in top corner one uh, down low and it was just like yeah no I've got this then Putlik came back in and he scored his two goals because he was like no I've got this and then Martin Olsen with his uh, with his six steps to seal it uh, which was yeah, it was pretty ridiculous that it wasn't called. He he was being tackled during those uh, steps, and uh, maybe the refs. It's the, you know the the 
some of the best refs in the world in Denmark. Uh, they uh, they thought he took a bounce, but he didn't. Uh, I don't know why VR wasn't used. It was pretty dramatic, and in the end, it was a, a dropped ball from um, from a Sukaborg player that closed the game out. But again, what stood out just how clutch these these guys are. They they're just not afraid of anything. And then in the final, it was actually pretty straightforward. They um, played against Gern, who who have a very nice team, actually. They, they've collected a bunch of nice players. Uh, you know, they have Alfred Jonsson in the centre, Swedish uh, playmaker with experience from the Bundesliga, Senjamin Buric on the line, uh, also Bergholt, the, an, another upcoming uh Danish line player uh, had a good final four, but they just they weren't good enough. And it was actually Lucas Jorgensen who was the star of the final. He got eight goals from ten shots, and yeah, his movement is just fantastic. Jorgensen, he's he on air. He was asked a few times whether he's moving to Flensburg or what his next club is. He said he's focusing on his. Uh, handball this season but uh, I think it's it's pretty clear that he's going to be Flansburg's uh, line player for next season and what a what a player he is he really uh, absolutely out of nowhere like literally out of nowhere we at least we knew a little bit about Putlik Jurgensen just really stepped up he was behind Bergendahl last season this season he he's taken his chance and Yes, Skern just weren't really in the game. And uh, yeah, I was talking to Rasmus a little bit after that game. He he was potentially going to come on uh, this podcast to chat about it, give that Skern perspective. I I said, he said that Gauguin were just the better team. I said, they're really special this year. But he said, uh, they're pretty good, but not special. So maybe we'll ask uh, Rasmus another time why he doesn't think they're special. I, I think this is a, a really special team. Uh, just before uh, it gets called out on Twitter by John Ryan and Team Handball News, Alfred Johnson, yes, he could also potentially play for the USA, but uh, <laughs> still sticking with Sweden for now. I'm sorry about that, John. Other big news, Borussia Dortmund getting 11,112 spectators to fill out the uh, Westfalenhalle in uh, Dortmund, the most at a women's club match in Germany and the most in a European League match. It was the uh, group final in the European League against Schofok, which they won 26-23. And uh, looking at the pictures and the, the highlights from that, uh, you can see that it was, uh, it was a great, great atmosphere. And uh, yeah, fair play to Borussia Dortmund. Also on the back of like, what has been a terrible few months for them with the, the former coach being kicked out disgracefully for his abuse allegations uh, that they've managed to get the get the public behind him like this. And uh, yeah, a great occasion, it seemed like, for them. Incredible, because when you see Borussia Dortmund in the last couple of years, when they played in the Champions League, playing in this poxy hall with like a running track around it and about 500 people watching... Uh, to getting over eleven thousand in uh, for a game like that is uh, yeah, you just have to doth your cap to them. Yeah, and then, I mean, not even that. Also, to watch that game in that arena in their old arena, the camera was also so low when you'd watch it on yeah. HF TV. It's almost so unsatisfying to watch because you couldn't really see what was going on on certain mess, parts of the yeah. court. So it was 
it was a mess. But yeah, great to great to see um, the images of uh, of that arena. I was I was working yesterday on the European the the games, and I was just a bit annoyed that we didn't get a big wide angle shot of the arena. I felt like they could have made a bit more of that, and they didn't really seem to to push that out there. But an incredible number of uh, spectators. Shame the game didn't mean something. I mean, it did mean something, but um, they, they wanted to finish top of the group. But shame there wasn't like uh, their progression progression on the line, as it were, because they were they were going to finish first or second regardless. But um, but yeah, good good to see it. I mean, and going on with this the scandal, you know, things are bad as well when the football fans get involved to put pressure on the handball team to get rid of your man. So you know, it's a big deal uh, when that happens. But uh, yeah, what a year for them. And uh, German teams love the European League. We knew that about the men's side, but now it's a fact in the women's side as well because uh, Biedekheim winning it last season and three German teams into the quarterfinal of that one. So the quarterfinals for Dara Schofok against Ekast, uh, Valtia against Niekerbing, also two Danish teams in there, um, Sola against Thuringer Hatzi and Nantes against Dortmund. It's only two German teams in there. I don't know where I got three from. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying yeah. to count them. I was like, what's no. wrong with my brain? Yeah, I still love it. Still yeah. two German teams equals loving the European League. <laughs> also, uh, just to, to mention, uh, we, I think, tweeted it out earlier uh, last week. Also news, the devastating news of Kemal Kutaya from uh, Turkey, who was one of the, I think now tens of thousands of people uh, he and his family who have died after the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Kemal was uh, a bit of a legend in Turkish handball, uh, captain of the indoor team, top scorer in the beach handball Euro the last two times, 2019 and 2021. He, his, uh, his pregnant wife, uh, his child and mother-in-law all being found, I think, was it a week, a week later, uh, which uh, it just gives a bit of a, a glimpse into how terrible all of that has been. Also mentioned that a teammate of his and uh, one of the more prominent Turkish handball players, Doruk Pelevan, uh, has been on uh, on Twitch over the last couple of weeks uh, raising funds for the victims by uh, painting and drawing uh, some posters. So check him out. I think it's D-O-R-S-19, so Dorsh. 19 uh hopefully he'll be online again at some point so go and check that out and uh donate if you can some positive news to finish off an international club title for ireland we have to mention this the first ever celtic cup final four is happening over the weekend in scotland uh with uh two irish teams and two scottish teams competing in the men and women and it was double gold for dublin city handball so congratulations to them it was an all irish women's final with uh, dublin city beating astra and uh, dublin city beating livingston in the uh, the men's competition so that's it we're on the rise next stop <laughs> european cup <laughs> round two good stuff that's it for today's episode I presume there's nothing else to say. <laughs> the boys look quiet <laughs> when you're when you're scraping the barrel with wins of the with Irish teams. You know the time is up. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thank you all to our Patreon subscribers, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Unformed Handball Hour. Cheerio. Yeah.